All right. Well, hey, everybody. I hope you all are doing well. Uh, like Corey said, my name is Wyatt. For those of you who don't know me, I'm super thankful to be up here. Uh, and so tonight, we're continuing our summer series of walking through the first few chapters of First Timothy. We're getting close to the end. And tonight, hopefully, God willing, we'll take a quick dive into the qualifications for deacons. So God has set up the local church as his vehicle to carry out the ministry of the gospel. And with that, God obviously needs soldiers and he needs servants for the ministry. People he can trust to fulfill the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to see why there is such a vital need in the church today for faithful deacons. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 8. It says, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith and a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight and we're just so grateful for the opportunity to go through your word. Uh, we're grateful for all the blessings that you've given us as individuals, as a church, and as a body, God. Uh, I'm thankful for my salvation, uh, for the, the death that you died on the cross uh, for a sinner like me, uh, a death that uh, none of us are worthy to partake in, God, but you've loved us enough uh, uh, to do that for us. And so tonight, please just open our eyes and our hearts, our ears, so that we can listen and see what you have for us out of your word, God. Um, it, it is a blessing to know how much you love us and how much you care for the body. And so uh, I pray that we're faithful to your word. I pray that we're faithful to the church that you've given us, God, so that we too can be servants just like deacons. Uh, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so what is the role of a deacon? What does the word deacon even mean? Uh, why do we have them set up in the church? Maybe you've heard that word before if you have gone to church for any length of time. Or maybe this role and this word deacon that God has set up in the local church is foreign to you. Tonight we are going to go through the role of the deacon, why God set it up, the specific qualifications, and how it applies to our lives specifically. And so that's our first point the role of deacons. So what is the biblical definition of a deacon? It's on your sheet. The biblical definition of a deacon is a waiter, a servant, or an errand runner. Very glamorous. Everybody wants to be a deacon. Simply, their main function is to provide help for the local church and to distribute charity. Deacons serve physically so the pastors can serve spiritually. Deacons also serve as a buffer between the pastors and the needs of the body of believers. Not all churches have the ability for the pastors to answer every need from its members. Some churches are very large, and, and the deacons help fulfill the needs where the pastors may not have time to do so. This position, while it may not sound attractive, it may not sound glamorous, is very important for the well-being and the function of the local body. And, and we're going to see why. 
the word deacon is translated 31 times in the New Testament, and all of them either say minister, servant, or deacon. And what I want us to start with tonight, and what I believe is important for us to understand the role from a biblical perspective, is to take a look at the first historical example of the position of a deacon and why it was set up. And so we're going to find that in Acts chapter 6, if you want to turn there. We'll be there for a little bit. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitudes of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, uh, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Uh, Okay, so what's happening right now historically in the church in Acts chapter 6 is that the disciples of Christ were multiplying, and there arose a need for the widows of the church to be ministered to physically. These Grecians were upset and murmuring against uh, these Hebrew believers because their widows were being neglected. And so the 12 apostles brought the disciples together and pretty much said, hey, we can't leave the word of God. We can't leave prayer to minister and serve these people physically. We don't have time. It's that important. The word of God and prayer was that important. So what's the apostles' response? They chose seven men to appoint over this business to physically minister to these widows. So, So what do these men look like? Why were they chosen? We'll see what kind of men the apostles told the disciples to choose to appoint over this matter. So first, these men were, letter A, model members within the body. Model members within the body. It says in verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom whom we may appoint over this business. And so these men were chosen and, these, and what we're going to talk about in Acts 6 lines up with what we're going to talk about in 1 Timothy 3. The, the qualifications overlap. But these seven men that were chosen were not slouches. They were not just everyday Christians. These were model believers who were faithfully serving already. They didn't pull these guys off the streets. These weren't new believers. So what does a model member of a local New Testament church look like? Well, first, they were men with a testimony of honest report. A testimony of honest report. We see this in verse 3. And in 1 Timothy 3.10, it says, Let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. So the first requirement overlaps with what we see in 1 Timothy 3.10, where deacons need to be found proven and blameless. So what does this actually mean? Like we saw last week, this does not mean you'll never be found blamed or accused of things, but rather there's no basis for these claims. Your life needs to have a pattern of honesty and integrity. 
So let me ask you, do you consider yourself someone that can truly say, I live my life with the utmost integrity? Do you care how others view you? Do you? We should all strive to have a testimony of honesty before all people. These men that were chosen were not deceitful. They were not fake Christians. They stood out among the rest of the believers. They were proven. Uh, Next, they were men full of the Holy Ghost. The second requirement was that these men should be full of the Holy Ghost. And that means a couple things, okay? First is that these men needed to obviously be saved. That's a given. You, You can't be mature in the Lord if you're not saved first. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. You know, there is one Spirit that fills us at the moment of salvation, and it's the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no chance for the natural man to lead anyone in any capacity within the local church. The natural man cannot know the things of God, and it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us and guides us in all truth. So obviously, deacons need to be saved. Next, it means that these men needed to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit daily. There are three men that are labeled as being full of the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. That's Barnabas, Stephen, and Jesus Christ. Stephen is is specifically mentioned in Acts 6, verse 5, as being a man full of the Holy Ghost and not by chance, chosen to be a deacon. And awesome, awesome enough, the next chapter over in Acts 7, when, when Stephen is looking up to heaven right before he's stoned, right before he's martyred, it says that he is full of the Holy Ghost again. Like, new believers don't look up and, and, and happen to be walking in the Spirit right before they're killed, Right? Stephen, Stephen was a mature believer, and he not only served the body physically, but also spiritually through his preaching. And God used him in mighty ways. And likewise, he wants to use us in the same capacity. Uh, this verse isn't in your outline. You can write it down. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about being given to much wine, but, but right now, what are you allowing yourself to be filled with? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to work through you daily? Are you dying to self and walking in the fruit of the Spirit? So yes, if you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you have the entirety of the Holy Spirit living inside you already. But you can quench the Spirit and not allow it to move you to action in your life. So we need to be walking in the Spirit or we may miss out on opportunities presented by the Spirit. These men were serving faithfully and... They were filled with the Holy Ghost already. Uh, And number three, mature men full of wisdom. Mature men full of wisdom. Just like these men were full of the Holy Ghost, they needed to be full of wisdom. And wisdom is understanding God's truth and applying it to our lives. So these men not only knew the scriptures, but they obeyed them and they applied them. These men were spiritually mature believers. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Ask yourself, have I ever asked God for wisdom? Do I display biblical wisdom in my life daily? 
Do I even know what that is? Do I even know what that looks like? If, if not, why? Why have I not... Why have I not walked in wisdom? Why have I never asked God for wisdom? You know, Solomon asked for wisdom in the Old Testament. And it said that God was pleased with him and gave it to him freely. God wants to give you wisdom. Maybe you have a lot of knowledge about God's word, but, but have you hid that in your heart? Have you applied it to your life? God will not use you to your fullest potential if you don't have biblical wisdom. It's not enough to know about God and his word. You need to apply it, and you need to let it effectually work through you. The position of deacon is that important, and and these men needed to be biblically wise to fulfill the position of a servant. So they were first model members. That was their first thing we see. And next, they were called to resolve murmuring within the body. We see that in verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So part of the responsibility of deacons is to also resolve murmuring within the body. And and what we are seeing in verse 1 is that these Grecian believers were upset because their widows were being neglected. But just because they had a worthy complaint does not mean that murmuring should have been their response. And it's the same for us today. Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You also have uh, Philippians 2, 2 through 3, if you want to read that on your own. So it says, all things without murmuring, without disputing, How are you going to react when the church and its people treat you unfairly? Has that ever happened? It's going to happen if it hasn't, because we're not perfect. God's people aren't perfect. Not all the time. And at times, we get hurt by the church. People do us wrong, and and they may not even realize it. The apostles maybe didn't even realize what was happening. And the effect that murmurings and divisions have within the body can be devastating. Even if your complaint is justified, you need to go to a deacon, go to a pastor, go to your life group leader. It's so common. It's so common among people, and it's sad. We love to complain to one another, don't we? Instead of going and just asking for help, going and talking to that person that we feel wronged us, and maybe they did wrong us. We cause division because we're not mature. And deacons end up having to resolve these disputes in the aftermath of this murmuring. I don't think you realize, and and myself included, what kind of issues that our deacons resolve that we never hear about. And thank goodness we don't hear about them. It's not an enjoyable thing to resolve murmurings and disputes, but somebody mature and full of wisdom has to resolve these issues. So that's where deacons step in. Lastly, letter C, they provide member care within the body. Verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So remember, the literal definition of the word deacon is servant. These widows needed physical care. Listen, God, loved, God loves his people, and God cares about the widows. Okay, 
They were being neglected. Like I said, worthy complaint. Every member has a role to play in the body. The apostles were not going to leave God's word to serve tables. God did not call them to that. Okay? I'm sure they did do that when it was needed, but the deacons provided care the majority of the time. This was their role. Our pastors just simply cannot do everything. Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Every joint of the body has a purpose. Every member of God's church has a purpose. We all have gifts that we can supply to help run the church, and every single one of them is important. We can all edify one another knowing that God's church is being run with love. So don't think that you can't supply need to your local church. Do you have a role? Do you know your spiritual gifts? Do you know what it means to serve? Are you serving somewhere? The deacons may not be flashy or in the forefront, but their service paves the way for the rest of us to follow. Their job is so important. So next, let's take a look at some of the qualifications of a deacon. Uh, Nick did a great job going through the qualifications of a bishop last week. Uh, So if you weren't here, go listen to uh, his message on the website. But what I do think is important is is for us to highlight some differences between the bishop and the deacon. We're not going to hit every one. We don't have time. Uh, But we are going to hit uh, a good amount of them, okay? So that's point two, the qualifications for deacons. It starts off and says likewise, which means just like the bishops or similarly to the bishops, deacons need to have these qualifications. And letter A is character qualities. So these are the qualifications that have to do with the inward character of a deacon. The inward character. And number one is grave. Engrave means to have integrity so that you are worthy of respect or that you are honorable. Another translation of the word is honest. It goes back to having that honest report seen in Acts chapter 6. Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. That's the only other translation of the word in your New Testament that isn't grave. It's honest. Paul is telling us to think on honest things. And when we meditate on honest things found in God's word, we can begin to apply it to our lives and be found worthy of respect. And therefore, trusted in the ministry with more responsibility. Once again, do you care about your integrity? Do you care about being found blameless? How do other people view you in the light of your walk with Christ? Are you someone that is worthy of respect? You have to do some self-reflection with this one. If not, maybe consider why that is, why you're not worthy of respect, and how you can apply God's word to your life to become more grave. Uh, Number two, not double-tongued. So, not double-tongued is a person who says one thing with one person and another thing with another person with the intent to deceive. So this is the only time 
double-tongued is found in your New Testament. And once again, we need to be above reproach when a believer is being deceitful to those around them. All they care about is themselves. You know, this happens a lot with people-pleasers. People-pleasers will say anything to get people to like them and approve of them, even if they contradict something else they've said. It applies to those who are greedy of filthy lucre. They will say whatever it takes to get what they want, even at the cost of others. They'll speak out both sides of their mouth. 1 Peter 3.10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. We need to refrain from speaking out of both sides of our mouth and learn to speak truth in truth alone. We need to learn to be aware of the impact our tongues can have on our relationships, even if we're doing it unintentionally. Uh, number three, not given to much wine. And not given to much wine uh, is not controlled by it, not possessed by it, not addicted or impaired. Uh, I think Nick did a great job last week going over this one for a while. Uh, I'm not going to belabor the point, but I, I do want to talk about it for a minute. So there's a slight difference between being given to wine and being given to much wine. So this is, this is what I think it means. Every word of God is pure, and the word much is added for a reason. I don't think that was a mistake. So much is... There, there's a matter of degree with much. And so there's a stricter degree for bishops and there's a slightly less strict degree for deacons regarding the amount of wine or alcohol you are to intake. So if, if God wanted both to have the same qualification, he wouldn't have put much in there. So to what degree, I'm not entirely sure. Either way, the principle is the same. The, the, the principle is the same. Don't let alcohol control your life. Is having a sip of alcohol or wine a sin? No. We saw that last week. I do not believe you can, you can prove that by comparing Scripture with Scripture. And we don't have time to get into it. But remember, there are patterns. These are patterns for our lives and not one-time events. It's not in your notes, but Proverbs 23.2. Uh, I think Nick had this in his notes. It says, And put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. So does given to regarding your appetite and in, in this context mean you can't ever have an appetite or eat? Well, I hope not, because I like eating. And I would die if I didn't eat, just like all of you would. So of course, no, that's foolish. We saw that last week. Only when you are controlled or possessed, possessed by that desire. Are you possessed by the desire for food? Are you a glutton? It's the same context. Is it all you think about? And, and the church today quickly condemns drinking and privately interprets the scripture to say that, it is, an, that is, it is a sin. That's a common thing. You cannot say that it is a prohibition. And we need to script, stick to what scripture has to say regardless of our upbringing, our culture. We, we just can't. We can't do it. You create your own personal prohibition. Don't create mine. Don't watch over mine. If, it, if you struggle with alcohol, don't put it on me, okay? Now, I'm not encouraging anyone to drink alcohol. I believe that it's important to have personal you know, prohibitions and to say no to things and to, to build a wall and guard yourself. 
And this is a great one to have, especially when it violates your conscience. That's why it's called liberty. And, and often in the Christian life, when we're given an inch, we take a mile. And so alcohol is a slippery slope. And the covering qualification is always being blameless and not causing your brother or, or sister to stumble in the faith. That's easy to do. So if you want to risk your integrity for your liberty, your focus is off. You're off track. Uh, we also know drunkenness is condemned in God's word. That's clear. There's no defending that. And we saw last week the phrase given to does not necessarily mean just being drunk or an alcoholic. Impairment is being part of it, but it's not the only meaning. And we specifically know it does not only mean drunk in this verse because of the word much, in my opinion. If it only meant drunk, then why add the word much? You can't be drunk with appetite, in a sense. You're either drunk or you're not. Being drunk with wine and being drunk with much wine does not change the fact that you would be drunk. You know, if God wanted the qualification to not be drunk or be drunk, he would have said it, okay? But, but regardless, that's a sin. Being drunk is a sin. First, uh, First Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So when we allow ourselves to be controlled by our liberty in Christ, we are not sober, we risk being consumed by the devil, and we end up being swept away by our lusts. Number four, holding the mystery of faith and a pure conscience. So this is what I believe this means. I may not be right. I, I believe this is believing and holding to the revealed gospel of Jesus Christ without wavering in faith. Believing and holding to the revealed gospel of Jesus Christ without wavering in faith. Colossians 1.27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of the mysteries that is revealed to the church in the New Testament is the mystery of the gospel, that when you place your faith in Jesus, he now dwells in you and you in him. Galatians 2.20 says the same thing. It says, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So the mystery that is now revealed is one that we need to hold to. It's the place we put our trust. You know, we're spiritually buried with Christ at the moment of salvation. All our hope is in him and him alone. And because of this, we need to reflect the gospel to the lost world without wavering. We need to have a pure conscience and be ambassadors for Christ. That mystery is now revealed to the church. And, and we need to move forward with that gospel without wavering. Number five, apt to teach. I wanted to bring this one up because this is a bishop qualification. Quickly, deacons are not required to be teachers of God's word. They can be. Uh, I think this is important because God gifts all men differently. That's not one of the qualifications. But Stephen in Acts 7, he's preaching, he's teaching, and he was a deacon. But many others were never mentioned to be preachers. Uh, B, public qualifications. Proved and blameless means to recognize as genuine after examination to approve or to deem worthy. So just like the bishops need not to be novices, deacons need to be proven men. And we saw this back in Acts 6. They chose mature, proven men with honest reports, not novices. And when you prove yourself in the small things, God will give you more responsibilities. It takes time to grow and mature, a lifetime. 
And, and the people needs proven, I'm sorry, and the church needs proven leaders, not novices. If you're not in a position of authority, give it time. Grow in the Lord. You do not put novices in position of authority. You can look at 1 Corinthians 16.3 as a good example. Paul wanted proven men uh, to take um, the tithe and the offering to Jerusalem. So quickly, we're going to go through the qualifications for deacons' wives. Uh, this is a unique and only to deacons' wives and not bishops' wives. And I believe the reason that the deacons' wives have qualifications is that the men that are in the office of a bishop are teaching and preaching. So their wives will not have that specific spiritual role in people's lives. Bishops' wives are never going to teach and preach in front of people in, in a biblical church. But remember, deacons serve the physical needs of the body a majority of the time. They are servants, and while there is not the title of deaconess, the deacons' wives can still serve the body in many ways. And in certain areas of the church, only women should be serving. And they can do a better job than men. So we have four qualifications for the deacon's wives, and they line up uh, with the qualifications for the deacon itself. So it's pretty cool. First is that, you need, that the deacon's wives need to be grave. They need to be grave. So once again, to have integrity so that you are worthy of respect. Are you an honorable woman? Do people respect you? Wives, you need to be living a life of integrity in the exact same way that your husband's living. Next, not slanderers. Goes along with not double-tongued. A person who falsely accuses. Deacons' wives may come in contact with private information, uh, privileged information, and they cannot use this info to slander or gossip with other people. Think about that. I, I tell my, one of my deacons in private something, and they go and tell their wives, like most men do, it's okay. But they need to know whether their wives are going to talk about me or not. Like that, that should be a given. And so, I mean, that, that applies to anybody, but specifically, deacons' wives need to not be slanderers, okay? They can't just talk about people at random. They need to be mature. Just like murmuring, it causes division, and God hates it. And, and interestingly enough, most of the translations of the word slander in the New Testament are actually devil. So think about that. You don't want to be associated with the devil. Revelation 12.10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So when we slander and falsely accuse our brothers and sisters in Christ, we do the very thing that Satan does to us. Satan uses our privileged sin between us and the Lord, and accuses us before God day and night, nonstop. And so when we do this, it just divides the church. C, sober. Sober is self-controlled in your thought process, so your thinking is sound, so that you have a clear and sound mind. So just like not giving a much wine is a qualification for the deacon, the wives need to be sober. They need to be clear-minded. And we see this exact same qualification in Titus 2, verse 3. 
it says for aged women to be not given to much wine. It's the same principle. So ladies, once again, when you're given to something, you're not under control. You're being possessed by something that controls you and it ruins your testimony. D, faithful in all things. So faithful in all things is a general summary regarding how the wife should live out their testimony and faith in the church. So ladies, are you being faithful to show up? Are you being faithful to serve alongside your husband, to disciple, to share the gospel? Wives, are you serving with a cheerful heart? You know, if your husband's leading you, are you disgruntled? Are you, are you upset that you have to do something? No, we, we need to be faithful. These things matter. It's a qualification for the wives, but obviously this applies to all of us. Okay, we all need to be patterning our lives after these qualifications. Luke twelve forty two says, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? So God will reward those who are faithful stewards, not unfaithful. The unfaithful will be ashamed, and we're called to be faithful in all things. Everything we commit to, we need to be faithful. That's an enveloping term. Which leads us to our conclusion. Verse 13. Uh, I wish we had more time to, to get into this verse. But it says, For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So if deacons can be measured on how well they perform, then there have been and are going to be deacons that do not perform well. You may never aspire to be a deacon. You may have never heard that word before. But if you are a follower of Christ, you're going to be a servant. And that's what deacons are. They're just the best servants. And you will be rewarded for your service or shamed before Christ at the judgment seat. It's your choice. Don't you want to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? Don't you want to be a faithful servant before the Lord? God takes the service of the deacon seriously, just like he does the bishop. He wouldn't have listed all those out if he, if he didn't take it seriously. They have great responsibility, and we should pattern our lives after these qualifications. And, and these qualifications obviously aren't for super Christians. You shouldn't think, well, I'm never going to be a deacon. I'm never going to be a deacon's wife. Well, never say never. But we are called to serve, all right? Th these are patterns we all need to follow, okay? So ask yourself, how are you doing? And what areas can you improve? We can all do better in our personal and public life, and we can start that tonight. Oh, let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight, and once again, we're grateful for everything that you've given us, God. We're thankful for your word, for how it changes our lives, for what it's done for me personally, Lord. It's our rule book for life, and, and we want to follow after your commandments, God. We want to be glorifying to you because you paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. You've loved us enough to send your only son to die on the cross for us, to give us eternal life, and it's the least we can do is be servants for you. I'm thankful for everything that you've taught me over this. Uh, I, I pray that the people in this room uh, learn something from your word, God. Thank you for your church. Thank you for all that you've done. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.